Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, Episode 25, Too Much and Never Enough edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, man? Hey, it's uh, going great over here. Um, there's a lot of doubleheaders this weekend with IndyCar and NASCAR, and um, a lot of, lot of storylines that are starting to take place now, and a lot of moving pieces that we get on to next year as well. Absolutely. Got a lot to cover here, as always, on the GSP. We're going to go over Richmond, the cup race. Brad Keselowski goes and gets his fourth win of 2020. Uh, We'll go into that and people who stood out, people who are in trouble. We'll uh, talk about Justin Allgaier getting two wins in uh, Richmond within less than 24 hours. And then Grant Infinger leading Thor Sport 1-2-3 while Johnny Sauter uh, tried to set a world record on F-bombs when his track bar broke or I don't know what happened. Um, Hopefully he's getting closer to his retirement or being sent. Uh, It would be better for the world. Um, Then you have Will, Will Power and Colton Herta splitting wins at Mid Ohio. Colton Herta led a Andretti Autosport one to one through three on the podium there on the Sunday afternoon race, which ran against NFL Week One. Then we'll go into Lewis Hamilton's 90th Formula One win at Mugello, which uh, was interesting in the fact that it had two red flags, and so three three starts and three standing starts and. Uh, Different argy-bargy went on the whole day. We'll get into that. We'll get into F3 where uh, Logan Sargent ended up losing the uh, championship to teammate Oscar Piastri. Um, We'll also get into F2. Those will be part of the GSP roundup along with DTM at Nürburgring, World Touring Cars at Zolder, uh, MotoGP and Moto2 at Misano. Super GT at Twin Ring Motegi. And then we'll get into previews. Bristol this weekend with uh, trucks uh, starting their playoff Xfinity on their their cutoff race. And then the Cup Series cutoff for the first round in the Bristol night race. And then the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, you've been moved back from June to September. Uh, it's going to be a Toyota benefit more than likely, but can an LMP2 car get on the podium. Uh, they almost won the race a couple of years ago, finished second overall in LMP2 car. Uh, could one of them get on the podium this year with the lack of depth in the LMP1 class, go into the other uh, categories, of course, the GT categories. And anything else that comes to mind, we'll also discuss um, silly season there. We, we got a lot between NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One. Some news came out today. So, uh, we'll definitely get into that and uh, whatever else is on our mind. Foosball talk there. Uh, Josh's week was a lot better than my week in week one. Uh, hopefully uh, better continued progress on the Jacksonville side for Josh's sake. And hopefully we turn things around, meaning the Niners in uh, week two and week three against the New York, New Jersey Jets and Giants. And, uh, and then they'll go back two and one playing against Philly in week four. Uh, let's start with NASCAR though, Josh, uh, Brad Keselowski, as I mentioned earlier, uh, won his fourth race of 2020 
Um, with that, he's also going to start on pole at Bristol, a racetrack where he's won. He won the night race in 2011. Uh, he won there in June in the uh, the first race there in the reschedule. Uh, I mean, definitely a dominant performance. He won one stage. He was he's put himself in the conversation. I think we've talked about it here for sure, but he's put himself in the conversation to be a, a, a title favorite with his performance all year, but winning that race, the way he won that race and the way he's looked at certain racetracks that may be coming, that are coming up here later in this playoff. What do we look at in terms of Brad Keselowski and, and who was up there on uh, Saturday night? Yeah. I mean, it was an extremely dominant performance from Brad Keselowski and, you know, it was the most dominant performance I think at Richmond since, he won at Richmond back in 2014 and he led like almost the entire race. And that was about how kind of the race itself uh, felt like throughout the entire night. Um, I think, you know, there wasn't a lot of um, actual cautions, just, just the, the stage yellows and we didn't really like see a lot of crashing, but I think it was definitely like a, a solid race overall, despite um, his domination and, and lack of action and uh, with crashing and all that. But, there are, you know, other drivers who surprised as well. I mean, we, you know, we have to talk about Austin Dillon and his uh, run that he's made in this first round, top five at Darlington. And then uh, he led 55 laps and finished fourth here at Richmond. And now he has a, a solid chance to, you know, repeat that performance or continue it at, at uh, Bristol this weekend. But, you know, I'm not ready to say that, oh, like he's suddenly like a, dark horse title favorite or like somebody who could go to the elite eight, but you know, certainly, you know, somebody like him can't be ignored. And, you know, going back to uh, Brad, I think, you know, these next couple of tracks, I think they definitely favor him. Bristol obviously favors uh, him. He's good at Talladega. Um, so he could be a, a threat there. And then, you know, Martinsville, I think could be a solid track for him too. If uh, he makes it to the elite eight, for uh, the the playoffs, but you know other drivers who haven't been as solid uh, throughout the whole season and now are starting to turn it back on, like uh, Logano, who we thought kind of dropped off throughout the the summer, and now he also starting to um, improve his performance uh, throughout uh, the first couple of races this round as well. And you know the other drivers are starting to falter back um, as we continue to progress further throughout this uh, first round, like uh, Ryan Blaney, who I think at this point I think we can write off um, his chances of um, you know making it past this round, uh, which I don't think any of us really thought it would happen. But I think at this point, you know, this what it's going to be for him. Um, it's I guess it's disappointing, but like we said, he's just hasn't been quite as good as what maybe his numbers indicated earlier in the year. Um, I think, you know, other drivers had solid performance as well. Kyle Busch finished in sixth place and you know, led a, led a couple of laps and you know, your normal, normal guys like Harvick and Martin Truex also had, you know, second place and a seventh finish and Danny Hamlin finished on a uh, lap down in 12th. So a little, a little bit disappointing for Denny Hamlin, but you know, we, we know he, kind of is a bit of a more of a boomer bus driver relative to Kevin Harvick. So um, a lot of, uh, you know, surprising performances from guys that we haven't 
maybe uh, talked about or thought were as good. And then, you know, Brad Keselowski, I think, is, I think, maybe going to be the biggest threat now to Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, Brad's been up there points wise all year. I wouldn't have thought that at the start of the season with all the crew chief changes that were made, uh, that uh, Jeremy Bullen's move would be a good thing. But I think the combination of Jeremy Bullen's wanting and that 12 pit crew wanting to prove themselves all together. And then you add Brad, who was in a contract year and will, I think, be in a contract year every year here for basically until the end of his career uh, due to costs and all the other things that go along with uh, how great NASCAR's run. He wanted to prove himself. And Daytona was a missed opportunity, of course, in the 500. It's now the only uh, major that he hasn't won. But since then... The two crew has made steady progress and has been up there in four wins. I mean, he wins three, four races a year. Uh, whether you want, like him or hate him, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's won one championship. He's won every major but Daytona, and he's got 30-plus wins. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. So he's getting that second championship. He's had a couple of close calls. 2014 was one. 2016 was one. Both those years, he really was one of the best drivers out there. Probably if he converts one of those two opportunities, we're looking at Brad's situation a lot different than what we have right now. Of course, he could go and take care of that here in a couple months' time and uh, win a Phoenix and, and – or finish ahead of the other three drivers if he gets all the way over there and and get a championship uh the performance he had at martinsville or, i mean or, or richmond sorry uh and at other short tracks in recent years kind of bodes well for some of the tracks that we're going to hear later in the season uh martin truex of course he's dominated it's one of his 17 home tracks he He's dominated the state of Virginia in recent years. He, he won at Richmond. He couldn't win at a short track, and then now he's become one of the best short track racers. He didn't lead a lap, but he was up there. Gets a, a second-place finish after starting 14th, scores some stage points. Logano, as you said, Josh, was uh, uh, up there all night, top-five car. Dylan has been a revelation. I fundamentally believe that if Tyler Reddick had made – this playoff, he would have really made things very interesting, not just for these cutoff rounds, but in general, uh, because I feel like now they put all their weight behind Dylan that they had spread between the two teams. And he, I mean, and frankly, Tyler Reddick still finished 11th uh, on Saturday night, last car in the lead lap, but. I think Reddick being there has been a, a big part of why uh, Austin Dillon has had to pick it up. He's, of course, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and he's made some superb decisions in his life. But I think having a kid, having this teammate that actually his, his pop-pop loves and knows, really feels like is a legitimate talent, all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, I actually have to show up and actually drive for once. Um, it's been a good thing for them, for that organization. It puts them in the conversation to try to make a couple rounds here. Um, Chevrolet needs good news, so having that three car up there is good news. 
Chase Elliott getting a top five finish there is good for Hendrick Motorsports and uh, they're struggling. But, you know, to, to he's not in a position where he has to worry right now. It's more about starting with the next round where even though the road, but the Roval's there, which he's become this like road course expert. So he may have options before we get to round three. Kyle Busch, Harvick, Almirola, Bowman, Boyer, the top 10. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the guys that finished outside. You have Hamlin, Kurt Busch, Cole Custer outside of the top 10, D Burrito, 17th, Blaney, 19th, and William Byron, 21st after starting fifth. I, I guess the question is, you know, for the like the concern meter for you uh, going into Bristol for the guys that are outside of the cutoff right now, you have Boyer on the bump at 82 points behind Kevin Harvick, but he's three points ahead of William Byron, eight points ahead of Cole Custer, and then there's a huge gap. D Burrito and Blaney are win or go home situations. Uh, D Benedetto has not done anything for months. Uh, he barely made the playoff. And then Blaney's penalty because of Todd Gordon being Todd Gordon has basically dropped anchor. And now they're, they're just really skating. They're just basically mailing this deal in, which is really disappointing after what some of the performances they had earlier this year and the kind of speed they've shown how they've dropped anchor in this playoff is, is a bad sign. Not, not only for the rest of this year, but going into next year as well. Um, what do you look at, Josh, or what are your thoughts on this playoff uh, cutoff before? I mean, we'll preview it more, but in terms of the points, who do you look at right now that's definitely in trouble and really uh, should be concerned? Out, I mean, I kind of said it, but who do you think should be concerned and who has to really stress themselves going into Bristol on Saturday night? Well, I mean, I'll start with like the the guys who obviously like this is their last hope, and I think that's both Ryan Blaney and Matt DiBenedetto. Um, Ryan Blaney, he's he was um, up in the top five earlier this year in the standings, and now he sits on the outside looking in, and he's got a, a deep hole that he's got himself into, and it's going to be really hard for him to to get out of that. And I have a hard time seeing him being able to make a, a run here at Bristol and try to win this race. Cause I think for him to, it, it's very, very difficult. I think for him to make it on points and he's probably um, going to have to win the race in order to make it to the next round. And it's certainly possible. I mean, he's done solidly at Bristol in the past, although he hasn't won at the track yet, but he's in the position where, you know, this is um, a do or die scenario for him. And the same goes for Matt De Benedetto, who um, hasn't done anything, like you said, for a good chunk of the year and is barely hanging on in this first round. But he did finish second last year at Bristol, so there is certainly the opportunity for him to repeat that performance, and it could happen. But I think those two guys are basically do or die. Uh, I think Cole Custer is probably in a similar situation, although if the cards fall enough, he could find himself in uh, in the top 12. He's only eight points behind Clint Boyer, so is um, a little bit more of a possibility. Uh, William Byron only three points behind. 
he he could make it in on points depending on how the results fall. So I won't be too concerned for him, but certainly it's uh, possible that he doesn't make it out of that round. And we were calling him the hot driver uh, in the first couple of races. You know, we had that top five run at Darlington, Daytona, and Dover. Then uh, this race, he finishes in 21st and suddenly he's on the outside looking in. So it shows you how tight it is. But I think him, Clint Boyer, also, I think, you know, he's obviously in hot water being in 12th place. So certainly he could be on that side looking in if he doesn't get the finish that he needs, which given how his season has gone, he certainly should be concerned um, that he doesn't fall out of the top 12. And even somebody like Eric Almirola, who is um, not as high as what he should be because he did have that summer run where he was finishing really good. And now he's kind of low in the standings. So I, I think for him, he uh, has got to put on at least a, a top 10 performance. Um, he doesn't need to win, but he's got to finish well. And I feel like for Bristol to be the, the final race in this round makes it really tight because it, it's a short track and a lot of races uh, there have you know a lot of wrecks and yellows and, and it's very tight. And I think positions will change uh, and vary throughout the race. And you're going to see a lot of variance um, through the standings for that section of uh, drivers who are in hot water and concerned for making the top 12. So there's going to be a lot of variance and points for, for those guys. And we're not going to see unless they crash or something, or they fall multiple laps down, we're not going to see what, um, who makes it in and who makes it or who doesn't make it in until the final lap is waived. Sorry about that right there. You got to love technical difficulties, uh, on, uh, broadcast there uh great points all in terms of uh who's really concerned who should be concerned the Stuart Haas guys they're sweating uh high likelihood that that there's two of them will get eliminated I mean Kevin Harvick we know is going to be there the whole way uh Al Marola with a bad night could possibly get eliminated the what Clint Boyer's done most of the year makes you figure that he could be eliminated. And of course, Cole Custer won rookie of the year. Cause he won that one race. And I don't think he's been the best rookie this whole year. Um, if he goes out one and done, it's not that big of a deal. It's a learning year going into 2021, which will be a transitional year anyway. Um, you know, it won't be too bad. Hopefully, uh, for him and for the organization he goes and gets through, it'll be fine. Uh, but I don't think if he misses out on round two, it'll be a big deal for them. I think it's a bigger deal for the veteran drivers within that organization. Kurt Busch is in, in trouble there. You can also consider Kyle Busch, who are both two of the best drivers ever been at Bristol, and they're both kind of up against it. I mean, I think it'll be more of an issue next uh, round for both of them uh, based on their performance during the year but frankly we will see I think Will Byron all the momentum he had winning Daytona benefiting from the nonsense that is Daytona and he he hasn't really put any he did all right at Darlington and you know but then Richmond wasn't great 
So which which driver is he? Is he the guy that had like that three week run that was really good, or is it this? We have to see at Bristol what they're gonna do. Of course, Clyde won the All Star race. Uh, Clyde was one of the top drivers in in the in the race in June as well. So we will see about what happens in the Cup Series race. So now on Saturday, going transitioning over to the Xfinity Series, uh, Justin Allgaier, Josh went and dominated both both days, both whatever Friday night and Saturday afternoon at uh, Bristol or Richmond and with Bristol, which is a track he won his first career race at. He's been great there. Uh, He's really good on concrete tracks as well. So um, it's starting to line up to where the momentum is in the favor of the seven crew with uh, Allgaier and uh, Jason Burdett, while you have the two title favorites for most of the year and, in uh, Sindrick and Briscoe uh, scuffling just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about earlier in the year with Justin Algar. He there was a point where he had led the most laps for the entire series um, early in the season, and he just had poor finishes and poor uh, luck at some of these races. But now he won a few weeks ago at uh, at Dover, and now he's sweep the weekend here at Bristol or at Richmond. And he's starting to see um, his title chances maybe going um, to his favor to contend. And I think he was always there. Like, he always had the car and, and the ability to at least contend in a, a lot of these races. He just didn't have the luck um, throughout the entire season. And I think now now he's, the fortunes for him are starting to turn around. So I think, you know, with Austin Sindrick and – and uh, Chase Briscoe have been dominating the entire season basically since um, at least you know since we returned from COVID. They they've got a, a little bit of a threat now that they've got to watch out for. And to make a comparison, it's almost kind of similar to how Brad Keselowski has kind of turned it on in the Cup Series compared to Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin because he didn't really seem like he was a. Uh, a contender until after the return and then he started winning a couple of races and and putting himself in position and kind of the same thing for Algaier because you know he had a lot of bad luck throughout the uh the year and now he's won three races in the last couple of weeks and so I think going forward it's going to be um him contending for this title and i think junior motorsports will probably put a lot of resources into helping him get that first title in the xfinity series for him and i think it's going to be a lot of a lot of justin algar um in the last couple of weeks here in this xfinity season um and you know with uh austin Sindrick, you know i think he'll continue to perform the way he's performed throughout this season but chase briscoe with um, you know, he seems like he's dropped off a little bit, and I think this past couple of races here at Richmond, he wasn't the best that he could have been, and that's maybe something to look out for as we uh, go forward in some of these races. And I think he's got to pick up his game a little bit because um, with these eliminations, the way they they lay out, uh, Chase Briscoe um, might be on the outside looking in, but I don't think it'll happen. Just it's uh, a 
bigger possibility than maybe what we thought it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Briscoe's performance uh, Friday night and Saturday afternoon was was pathetic. Uh, they they were just, uh, I mean, he had GoBowling.com, and it looked like he was basically uh, going and throwing it right in the gutter both days. I mean, he, he had maybe one move against Brandon Brown, which tells you how bad his car, no offense to Brandon Brown, but when you're running outside of the top 10, and you're having to race Brandon Brown hard, you know that you're up against it. And that car was trash. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened since Richard Boswell returned from his suspension, but they have, they've had their moments. I mean, they've won. They won over a few weeks ago, the second race. They, they've been up there. They've had top fives, but the performance they had at Richmond – scares me because it's the same crappy tire they're going to have at Phoenix. And he's was up there and talked about how Phoenix was not a good racetrack for him. He did okay earlier in the season, but it wasn't great at Phoenix. Um, it was a Joe Gibbs benefit that day. Uh, so you, you, you have to look at that performance and Sindrick didn't really do much anything. He did win a stage on Friday. So, okay. Credit to that. But he wasn't his usual, you know, winning and dominating kind of self, which people want to talk about how great he is all of a sudden. Um, you know, I would assume he should be able to do that. He's in a freaking Penske car. Um, he was co very conservative on Saturday. Didn't really have to be because the 98 was absolute garbage. Now, if they run like that again at Bristol on Friday night, it's you have to start really putting the warning signals off. Not because that they're they're going to get eliminated in round one. I don't think they're going to get eliminated in round one, but trying to make Phoenix is going to be a real problem for that 98 crew uh, if they can't perform better. That's uh, it's just inexcusable, and it, it and it really lines up for Allgaier and JRM, who haven't really had the speed most of the season, but now they've figured it out. They've got their cars working really well, and Allgaier's been doing this for years. He's basically the new Elliott Sadler. Uh, is it his time? Does he finally get through and win this championship? Uh, you know, he's never really going to leave the Xfinity series unless some craziness happens and maybe he jumps in the 42 or the 48. Uh, I don't know if that's even a thing, but uh, you figure all guy is going to be in the Xfinity series for the rest of his career with Brandt. And uh, if he does that and he wins a championship, it's great for him. Great for his family, his wife and daughter, all that. Um, the way he ran at Richmond uh, is going to be a problem for those two other guys if they want to go and win this championship for sure. Um, as they go to Bristol for the Food City 300 on Friday night. The Truck Series race was the UNOH 200, and uh, Grant Enfinger was the winner for, or no, the, I'm talking about, oh, Jesus. The, that's the sponsor for this weekend's race. It's a Thursday night's race. The Toyota Care 250 was Richmond. Grant Enfinger was a winner um, at uh, Richmond over his two teammates, Matt Crafton and Ben Rhodes. And you had Brett Moffitt, Tyler Ankrum, top five. So the two super teams take up the top five. Cody Robaw, 
who took a couple of weeks off and then came back, finishes sixth. Reagan, seventh. Austin Hill, eighth. Timmy Hill, Boot Scoop Boogie, gets a top ten. And Stuart Friesen is tenth. So, I mean, it's more of the same, Josh. You're talking about, we talk about the super teams for weeks here. And frankly, it hasn't changed all that much. It's just that Grant Enfinger went and won this week and and had a dominant performance lining himself up for this playoff run very nicely considering uh some of the points uh situations going on for people uh around him like uh, Austin Hill. Yeah, I mean, I think going forward in this truck series and the truck series playoffs, I think you're going to see the title come down to one of the Thor Sport cars, the GMS cars and Austin Hill. That's probably uh a good prediction or at least a good indicator of who the three or four spots are going to be going into Phoenix. And it's just been those teams basically, well, GMS and, and uh, the curb team really just trading wins between their drivers the last couple of weeks. And um, Austin Hill just, you know, continuing to be consistent as he has been the entire year. But, you know, it's just going to be a benefit between those guys. Um, Certainly, you know, for, I think, for their younger drivers like Grant Infinger and Ben Rhodes and even Matt Crafton, I think they'll definitely have a, a chance to go to get this title. But, you know, then we also have to talk about how Johnny Souter just was poor the entire weekend. And, you know, we talked about him just dropping a lot of F-bombs throughout uh, the race and just uh, didn't have the race that he needed. And, um, you know, like I don't expect him to to be uh, any any title contender for for this season. Um, uh, and then he actually he was out out of it. So just a, a poor race for um, for him. So it's going to be between the three uh, curb cars and then um, or Thor Sport cars Thor and Sport then and yeah then, and then uh, GMS. GMS. Yeah, so I think I think that's what you have to expect for for the truck series, and um, you know, for Grant Enfinger, I think you know he he bookended the season basically. He's won at Daytona, and now he closed the so-called regular season here at Richmond. So I I think he'll he'll be a, a good good contender going forward, and then um, Ben Rhodes I think could be a, a sneaky guy if he can put together a good string of races throughout it. And, you know, I think Zane Smith probably is another guy who we can't count out for um, from the GMS stable. And then Sheldon Creed has probably been, as far as wins go, I think he's probably been the best driver in the series uh, as far as just uh, on wins alone. I don't think you can count him out. And then, you know, Austin Hill, like we talked about, he's just been – doesn't have the wins, but he's been very consistent. And I think I think um, he'll, he'll be somebody to watch going forward in these playoffs. Absolutely. You got Creed leading the points uh, going into Thursday night's uh, truck race, the UNOH 200. He has a four-point lead over Zane Smith and Austin Hill, who gained the 15 playoff points from a regular season championship. And I think those other, I'm, I don't know who was where, who got what in terms of the regular season uh, points the top three gets uh, bonus playoff points there but really it's very tightly packed and fingers seven points behind Moffitt 
11, Ben Rhodes, 12. Um, and you look at those guys, I mean, Brett Moffitt is the one that hasn't won yet, but he's had some good uh, performances. He's tied for the most stage wins for a regular driver with Zane Smith and Sheldon Creed, but he hasn't been able to close yet. If he can get on a heater, you, you can get on a heater in this playoff and, and kind of put it away. He has done this before. He is a former truck series champion. There are, there are rumors about him possibly getting, finally getting that call up to cup in a proper ride. Uh, he did it for Michael Waltrip years ago and other start and park type teams. Will he finally get his opportunity in the cup series after many years um, toiling in Xfinity and now in the trucks and then now in Xfinity driving that zero two car very well. Um, we will see what happens with that, but curious to see, I mean, you got Tyler Ankrum there right on the cutoff. He's only 12 points behind Ben Rhodes and six. So there's a lot of, um, of possibilities. There's, you know, stage points and stage wins could really start shifting things but you need to be consistent um you know you look at they're going to eliminate three drivers in the first round and then another three uh to get to the final four at phoenix so trying to get into that seventh place cutoff is right now crafton uh he's got a seven point lead on ankrum at the back end there uh crafton of course has been won a race finally for the first time in a couple of years. So we'll see what he can do. You can never count out a guy who's won three championships uh, in this spot. Even it's kind of the same kind of deal with uh, Kyle Busch in the cup series when he's not done this year, this year has been an off year for him, but you can never count him out. It's the same thing with Matt Crafton. Uh, We'll transition from NASCAR and we'll talk about that more Bristol later into IndyCar, the Mid-Ohio doubleheader, the Honda Indy 200. Uh, They had two races there at Mid-Ohio. In race one, it was Winge Power over Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi. Uh, Green Rehaul finished fourth, and Ryan Hunter Ray uh, been the start, but uh, finished fifth. Uh, Rosenquist, Harvey, VK, Herda, and Dixon. Dixon, who's qualified 17th, which was crazy, uh, lost a lot of points to uh, Newgarden this weekend to try to make it somewhat interesting, actually. Uh, race two, Herda, Rossi, Hunter Ray gives Andretti Autosport their first 1-2-3 in God knows how long. Uh, they had the 1-2-3-4 at St. Pete many years back, I think it was 2005, with Dan Weldon winning. Um, you know, and then you had Green Rehaul with another top uh, fourth place, former winner there at home. The chocolate chip Ganassi car finished fifth with Marcus Erickson, Pagano, Power New Garden, sixth through eighth, Pato Award, and Scott Dixon uh, gets another 10th place finish. So, Josh, it was a... Uh, uh, surprisingly uh, rough weekend for Scott Dixon, a six-time winner at Mid-Ohio. It's one of his best racetracks. He did not have it this weekend, uh, but guys like Colton Herta, of course, Will Power, uh, get those wins. 
And then you also have to look at Joseph Newgarden making gains in the points at a time where we thought this thing was over. It was over 100. He had over a 100-point lead. Now it's back down to 72 points with, albeit there's only a few races left to go in this series, but uh, possibility is still there. You can't count out a guy who's won two championships. Yeah, you can't count it out for sure. And, you know, with the double points at the end of the season at St. Pete, it's, you know, you can't, uh, well, are they still doing double points? I, I No, they're not doing yeah, double okay. points. Okay, well, yeah, well, um, it's you know always been a thing in any car, but um, I mean, even even only with change, all the they races, they only change it for this year. The only double points was Indy, but yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, but I mean, even with all of that, like you know, there's still the doubleheader at at uh, Indianapolis Grand Prix again that they will have next month, and then the finale at St. Pete, but. There's still opportunity for Scott Dixon to and Joseph Newgarden to both extend or cut into the lead, uh, and I think for Newgarden he's got to got to try to win at least two of the next three races to maybe have a, a earshot of winning the title or getting close to it. And I think for Scott Dixon he's just got to stop the bleeding here and you know just get podium or top five or something coming up in these next couple of races, but. On Saturday, you, know, you just didn't qualify that well, and I guess you just was never there throughout the race uh, on on Saturday. Then Sunday, I mean, it's a rare mistake for Scott Dixon to be spinning out, and you know he spun out on uh, Sunday and just didn't have the finish. And um, I think you know that you can't have that kind of mistake, and it easily allows your um, adversaries to get back into the fight. And I think for Newgarden, you know, now he's only 70, uh, 72 points back from the lead. And while there's still a, a pretty big advantage, you know, it can go away quite quickly if Scott Dixon has another performance at, at uh, Indianapolis um, like he did here at Mid-Ohio. But, you know, with other guys like Will Power, you know, this is finally his first win of the season here and finally getting that checkbox um in the win column, like the rest of his teammates, you know, he definitely had the, uh, the willpower to win this race. Yeah, I had to do it, but, uh, uh you know, it yeah. was a very, you know, very uh, dominant performance with, uh, his race and he led 66 laps, um, and just put on a, quite a clinic on Saturday. So, you know, shout out for him for sure. The, uh, great race. And, you know, we have to talk about Alexander Rossi for, all the bad luck that he has this year um, when he was expected to be a, a championship contender and he finished uh, third on Saturday and then on Sunday he uh, put it in second. So it was a good weekend for him um, and what's a, a lost season and, you know, maybe a, a preview of things to come next year if uh, Andretti can kind of get it together with how they performed on Sunday. We talked about with, uh, with Colton Herter winning the race and then, um, his teammate Rossi and, and Hunter Ray in second and third, maybe maybe a preview for next year if, if they can get it, get their stuff together. But I think for um, you know other other contenders like um, you know Newgarden, this is this is uh, what what he needs the kind of weekend that he needed to to get into um, uh, the championship hunt and. I think on, on Sunday, I don't think he finished quite as well as maybe what he needed to, but still he was able to cut in that lead. But 
Um, you know, Graham Ray Hall had a good race as well on both Saturday and, and Sunday, finished fourth both races both races. So I think think for him, you know, this is maybe maybe something uh, a positive way to close the season out. Um, maybe pick up a, a couple of points and move up a couple of positions in the standings. But definitely for Scott Dixon, this is um, not the way you want to close out the season and you're leaving the door a little open, um, more open than what you want. I mean, for him to get two 10th place finishes, I mean, there are guys in this field that would kill to get a 10th place finish. Uh, when you consider what Scott Dixon's been doing all year and uh, possibly theoretically gave away the Indianapolis 500, I mean, there's there's all kinds of things. He's won four races. For him to have a bad weekend, you, 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 it's it's weird. It's definitely not the usual. It's not the norm, which is why. Um, and at a track where he's won so many times, for them to be so far off, uh, you, you consider last year he won this race over over Felix Rosenquist. Uh, I mean, Felix uh, Rosenquist finished sixth in race one. And then in race two was nowhere. He crashed. Uh, but you have the chocolate chip Ganassi car finished fifth in race two. So there was pace. There was an ultimate pace, but they were up there. So why Dixon, it was such a rough weekend. Dixon started third on Sunday and then ended up spinning out, as Josh mentioned, finishes 10th. But three races to go, that's in his favor. When you consider that the points, there's 50 for a win with whatever bonuses and things that exist with, with qualifying, he's in a spot here where he won Indy GP earlier this year, July the 4th. Um, if if he can go out there and have a similar, not necessarily, maybe you say similar, but you get a couple of top fives, this thing's over by the time they go to St. Pete. Um, because St. Pete is definitely, it's a track where he has never won. Uh, one of the few tracks where Scott Dixon has never won. And uh, to go there with knowing the championship is over and giving himself an opportunity to get, a, get that win there, would be great for him and for that whole uh, Chip Ganassi organization as they open up uh, the door for uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, coming up, uh, and which will be we'll discuss in a little more detail here in the uh, silly season portion. But as teammates uh, next year, uh, let's see. Formula One. Formula One was definitely crazy. Uh, at Misano, uh, Misano at uh, Mugello, uh, Misano was where uh, MotoGP ran. We'll get into that. But Lewis Hamilton wins his 90th Formula One Grand Prix. Uh, he probably should have won it the week before at the Italian Grand Prix, but we know what happened there. He gets it at Misano. Uh, I keep on doing it, Mugello, and it was not straightforward. Three starts, um, two huge wrecks, uh, Lance Stroll going off big, uh, which is whatever, because it's Lance Stroll, uh, though there's a woman that's writing about how he deserves his ride, and she got ratioed because Joe Soward went and crapped on her because he's an angry old man. 
I mean, Lewis Hamilton wins. It wasn't straightforward. It wasn't. It was definitely not your usual uh, run-of-the-mill Grand Prix. It wasn't as interesting or as dramatic as the uh, Italian Grand Prix, Josh. But uh, you gotta give it up. I mean, for people who don't want to give it up, you, you, it, it's fine. You can hate them, and it, you'll be wrong. But uh, freaking Lewis Hamilton, man, one win away from tying. The uh, great uh, Michael Schumacher for 91 wins, and we'll talk about his son here a little bit, but it's crazy, man. 90 Formula One wins for Lewis Hamilton and and his stance that he took uh, on the podium and all that as well. Yeah, I mean, for Lewis Hamilton, you know, he's only one win away from tying Michael Schumacher and probably will happen the next Formula One race. Um but, you know, it wasn't as easy as what we thought it would be. You know, he led most of the race, but he didn't have a good start at the very beginning. And then that allowed Valtteri Bottas to get uh, back into the lead for a couple of laps. And, and I think I think that probably played a factor in, into the uh, first big crash that we saw coming to this, or, well, the second big crash, really, and the biggest wreck that we saw coming to the start or the restart with how how that happened they kind of had a very slow start and then the guys in the back got all jumbled up and and were trying to go and the guys up front didn't go and then they all ran into each other which you know that's something you don't really see but um it's happened before um but you know like it's not not really the best start to have with how you know you try to bring the field down to a, a crawl and then you go and then everybody else runs into each other behind you um, um something something i've definitely experienced online but i you know like for lewis hamilton this is one step closer and and um for Valtteri Botas is maybe maybe a, a lost opportunity. You know, he led laps and definitely might have had a shot at the end if he could have gotten close enough for DRS, but just didn't have quite the the pace to to do it. And they tried to go on alternate strategy with uh, their tires, and he wanted to try a different set of tires compared to Lewis Hamilton to try to make up time, but um, just didn't didn't have enough juice to do that. And and then um, you know he lost uh, pl- uh, time to Lewis Hamilton off the the second restart that they had in the race and um, off of the second red flag and he got passed by Alex Albon and and uh, Ricardo and had to make up time to that and then and just couldn't make it up to Hamilton but um, how about Daniel Ricardo f- uh, finishing fourth and was um, in second for a good portion of that race and a uh, good performance from from uh, Renault and um, how about uh, Alex Albon finishing third finally and getting his first podium for Red Bull um, and you know that's something something that uh, he's definitely deserved for a while and if you go back all the way back to the beginning of the season when he got taken out by uh, Lewis in in um, uh, Australia or Austria, Austria. Austria. Yeah, yeah yeah and uh, it was definitely something that we've been looking to see if he was going to be able to put up a, a good performance to keep his seat in the car and maybe more performances like this will um, help his cause uh, going into next year but it was definitely a, a very very uh, chaotic race and 
you know, somebody like Max Verstappen, who now has two races where they, they had a blank, you know, that's not good. And for his chances for the title, he might not be able to um, even get get into uh, second place. He's got a 25-point gap um, to uh, Valtteri Botas, so it's looking pretty dim for his chance to even finish second. So just not not a good set of races lately for Max Verstappen, but certainly this was just a very chaotic race. Yeah, Max Verstappen's uh, crashed there early with uh, Pierre Gasly, who had a horrendous weekend. Didn't even get through get through Q1 um, to to after winning the Italian Grand Prix. Not even getting through Q1 was brutal, and then that crash, which was let off because of the Russian Russian uh, tornado in uh, in Danny Kvyat. Uh, went and caused that deal and unfortunate of, of course for those guys not even to get a lap in for Verstappen in terms of the points as you said Josh it's it's basically game over uh, it was game over in a lot of ways because of what happened in Austria to start the year year but then he'd kind of clawed back a little bit but now he's in a position where he's uh, 25 points behind, as you said, with Valtteri Bottas. So it's a full race, race win gap now. Bottas is 55 points back, which when you consider fastest lap points, is still two full race wins behind Lewis Hamilton. So right now we have basically kind of put ourselves in a position yeah there's plenty of season to go but we have basically determined the first three places in this world championship now it's a case of how many wins will lewis hamilton have this year will how how quick will he get to get to 91 and get past 91 wins will he get when will he clinch championship number seven that's the that's part of the discussion but there's also the discussion in terms of the midfield lando norris right now is fourth in points he's two points out of his buddy alex albon stroll uh is eight points behind norris ricardo's 12 points behind and then you have charles eclair uh, who's 16 out sergio perez who's missed Two, we missed one race because of COVID and then didn't even start another one, I think, or had some issue. And he's basically like 20 points, 19 points out. Gasly's 20 points out. So you consider 20 points separates Lando Norris to Pierre Gasly, 22 to Carlos Sainz. So from 4th to 11th, this, this points battle will go all the way to the final round uh of the season in Abu Dhabi, for sure. Uh, that'll be very interesting. Of course, Alex Albon uh, trying to maintain his ride at Red Bull uh, to go and uh, be having his first podium. Big deal for him. Big, big props to for all he's went through and all the struggles he's went through to go out there and, and, and have a good run and uh, show that it isn't him. Uh, it's the fact that Red Bull doesn't know how to make 
two good cars. Uh, that that was nice to see. Perez got screwed because you know uh, Stroll F1 doesn't know how to make call strategy for him. Uh, he got fired, and they hired Sebastian Vettel, who finished tenth somehow in that uh, tub of shit that is a uh, Ferrari uh, beating George Russell. George Russell had one of the best drives of the day. Uh, the third, that third start uh, ended his opportunity. He had, he was in ninth on merit. No problem was going to make his first points of his career. And then that red flag came out for stroll uh, with the uh, exploded tire and, you know, stroll, uh, he then uh, that cost uh, George Russell there for Williams and their new or ownership with Doralton Capital or whatever they're called uh, Doritos as we called them on the, the um, Formula One Grid Talk podcast. Uh, George Housen and crew there, a great podcast strictly on F1 to listen to. George has been on here, so. Uh, I mean, Charlie Claire gets a points finish. Uh, Russian Rocket gets in the points as well. Ricardo almost got Cyril his tattoo, his tramp stamp, but uh, we will have to wait a few weeks before that possibility comes up again. And and yeah, I mean, definitely interesting. Mugello's really limited in terms of passing, but it is a true challenge. Uh, and you're going to see the full effect of the car in all areas. You're going to see the downforce because of fast corners, medium speed, slow speed. You're going to go and see G lateral G force uh, going on with some of the corners with banking and turn one and some of the hairpins and the real fast sweepers. So it was a cool circuit to watch with formula one. Uh, whether they'll be or, or they'll ever run there again, it kind of has that Donington Park feel to it. But uh, I guess we'll find out later on uh, for sure. Uh, we will transition into the GSP roundup here on, uh, and uh, we'll go into Formula Formula Three. Logan Sargent had an opportunity to win the Formula Three World Championship going into uh, the final round at final rounds at Mugello in uh, race one, uh, he ran into problems and finished in, in, uh, let's see. Yeah. There's Cameron Doss, of course there. Logan Sargent ended up finishing sixth uh, in, in race one, which actually tied him in points with, Oscar Piastri, his teammate, while Frederick Vesti, his other teammate at Prema, won the race over Jake Hughes, Theo Pucher in the top three. But then in race two, he ended up having problems, uh, getting taken out early, uh, crashed uh, lap one with Lirim Zendeli, who has been up there for a lot of the year. Uh, that DNF basically handed the championship over to Oscar Piestri, who ended up finishing seventh in race two, while Liam Lawson took the win 
over David Beckman and Dio Pucher. Um, Enzo Fittipaldi had a nice weekend there, finishing fourth in race race uh, two, race one. He finished fifth. So a uh, good uh, finish for the season for Enzo Fittipaldi, bringing up that name. You, everyone knows the Fittipaldi name out here in the United States, so big deal there. Um, we'll see who's going to move up, but for Sargent, unfortunate uh, to not get that championship. Uh, hopefully, uh, whether it's Haas, if they finally learn and get out of their own way, or if Doralton with Williams decides to go in and take a shot um, on the American driver here, it would be good. I think it would be a logical move to have the best logical American talent that has been there. I mean, I don't think Michael Andretti ever was in a position where he would have been able to compete. We can get into that. That's for post, you know, out of the out postseason kind of discussion, probably, you know, Scott speed was part of the Red Bull driver development thing and toast and Marco ran him out the door in a year and a half. Um, and then he became a NASCAR driver um, and then had to leave NASCAR and then he's winning races, you know, world, whatever, whatever rally cross and other things. So the guy has talent. It's just that the Red Bull system is how it is. Um, there hasn't been a legitimate American driver uh, make it to Formula One. I mean, Alex Rossi, Alexander Rossi ran for Marussia. Of course, they were the worst team in the grid, basically. He ran limited races and then got the call from Brian Herta and Andretti to go and run an Indy car, and we, he hasn't looked back. Uh, you, you had Santucci who was in Formula 2 and tried to figure out a way. He was in the, the, the junior program with Haas and then uh, ran over his Arjun Miney, uh, his Indian teammate, and racist comments and, you know, Santucci being Santucci is why he's in IndyCar right now and Paul Tracy sucks his cock. And uh, so it'll be nice to see Logan Sargent get an opportunity in uh, Formula 2 next year. There's some solid teams that are going to have some openings. So uh, one of them would be Prema for sure. Um, so we will see what uh, they do. Um, in terms of Formula 2, we had uh, Nikita Mazepin and Christian Lundgaard, the winners of Race 1 and Race 2. Uh, you have Mick Schumacher. There are they're gonna have multiple rounds here. You have uh, was he Mick Schumacher? He got to drive his dad's F2004, quite possibly one of the greatest cars ever, maybe the best car for Michael Schumacher in his illustrious career. Uh, and uh, his son got to drive it at one of Ferrari's circuits in Mugello. The V10 engine is just beautiful. It's worth watching the videos and clips that are out there. Mick Schumacher right now leads fellow Ferrari junior driver Callum Eilat uh, by eight points and Lundgaard by six, 16 with four rounds left in the Formula 2 championship. They'll be running Sochi and then they'll be running at Bahrain. I think the Bahrain Oval will be the final uh, or Roval will be the final race races of the 
2020 Formula 2 championship. And a big deal also in terms of points for the top four gets a super license, uh, eligible for super license. So that would mean that they could possibly move up into Formula 1, which we will discuss here in a moment. Uh, we will do the um, MotoGP and Moto2 uh, World Championship. They ran at uh, Misano, uh, the Marco Simoncelli, the late Marco Simoncelli circuit at Misano. And the uh, race results, Franco Morbidelli gets his first Grand Prix win over Franco Bagnaia and Joan, Joanne Mir, so Yamaha, Ducati, Suzuki, Valentino Rossi, a home game for him, gets a fourth, Rins, Maverick, Vinales, Davizioso, Miller, Takanakagami, uh, best Honda in ninth by far, and then the KTMs uh, start showing up there, four out of the next five. Alich Espargaro, they're splitting that, um, this points battle is going to be insane. Davizioso right now, he doesn't have a job going into next year, but he leads the world championship. Uh, he has not had, he's had one win at Austria, and then he has a third. And then otherwise, it's not a very good look. Fabio Quattararo won the first two races, and then since then has dropped off a cliff. Jack Miller is only 12 points behind. Uh, he has a third, second, and a th- second, third, and a fourth. And then, eh. so, and Joanne Muir uh, has a second, third, fourth, and a fifth to get him in fourth in points. Vinales, two seconds, and then not much else, tied with Rossi, his teammate. Um, and then Morbidelli, who got his first win uh, to put himself in the conversation. So, right now, there's only. There's less than 20 points between uh, first and seventh, and there's plenty of rounds to go um, in the MotoGP World Championship. So it is anybody's championship. This is an opportunity because no Mark Marquez, he is not going to be running for this World Championship. He may not come back all year. So if you have never won one, the only guy who's on the grid right now that has won a, a MotoGP championship is Rossi. So this is the opportunity of a lifetime for all these guys. Um, and if you're on a if you're on a, a KTM or a Yamaha or Ducati, this is the moment here. You can go and call yourself a world champion. You may never beat Mark Marquez, but you'll still be a world champion. Um, and so we'll we'll see about that in uh, in future races and how that whole thing goes in Moto Two. You had Luca Marini, Marco Basecchi, and Enea Bassini uh, finish 1-2-3 at Misano. And Marini, Bezzecchi, or Bassini and Bezzecchi in that order are the points. Joe Roberts finished 10th in the race uh, on Sunday, and he is currently 9th in points. Of course, he finished, he qualified on pole, finished 2nd in the opening round uh, way back when in Qatar. Uh, so he's uh, doing what he has to do to try to get himself, hopefully, eventually back on or get an American back on the MotoGP grid um, here in the future. Uh, going to 
the World Touring Car Championship. Uh, Jan Erlacher and Ivan Muller finished 1-2 over Santi Arudia, former Indy Lights driver here. So all of them driving for Link & Co., the um, same uh, team there. Uh, they finished in the top three. Tom Coronel, who follows and unfollows everybody uh, that likes racing on Twitter, uh, finished sixth. J.K. Vernet, former Indy Lights guy, there in seventh. Norbert Mikulis, the defending champion, finished eighth. And you got some other guys. Esteban Guerrieri, another former Indy Lights guy. Jeez. Tiago Montero, former uh, World Touring Car champion, former Indy Car driver. Uh, former Formula One driver, finished third at the uh, U.S. Grand Prix in the six-car U.S. Grand Prix. Uh, Gabriele Tarquini, who's been around forever. Uh, Luca Filippi. And you got some guys there. So that's interesting. I'll be one that we'll uh, be looking at a shorter season. They have another, um, what is it, 10 rounds to go and five five total uh race tracks but the uh, 10 rounds to go here in the 2020 world touring car championship uh dtm uh has been audi all year uh robin frines over rene rass and mike rockenfeller audis took the top five spots nico muller finished fifth over in duval there and fourth first bmw sheldon vanderlinda uh, in race one, Nico Muller gets another win over Rast. Wittmann gets a third over, and then Audis, Rockenfeller, and Freins. In the standings, you have Muller by 20, 20, 29 over Robin Freins, and Rene Rast in third, and that's basically it. But Rene Rast is 41. 46 points behind Nico Muller. So Audi is uh, looking really good. They have the top five spots in the championship right now. So that'll be something to look at as they move to their next round in at the Nürburgring uh, GP circuit this weekend. Um, Probably be more of the same with Audi there. Um, now then likely the GT3 platform will be brought into DTM to save it. And that'll be something to see if there'll be better car count or it'll be better opportunities. Um, and we'll go into super GT, which uh, former IndyCar driver Bertrand Baguette uh, won at twin ring Motegi uh, this past weekend with his teammate in the number 17 uh, Toyota and in the or Honda sorry I'm sorry in the Honda and Honda NSX and then in the GT300 class you had uh, the number 65 R&D Leon racing car and that is a Mercedes so Mercedes GT3 Evo one in uh, GT300. Their next race is three weeks away at Fuji Speedway. So there'll be some time. Uh, Baguette and 
Takakashi or have a two point lead over uh Sekiguchi and Fenstrands is great. You want to go and learn how to pronounce names live on air. Nick Cassidy and Rio Hirakawa, former champion, defending champions. Nick Cassidy, one of the best drivers there is in the world. Uh, it's a five-point lead right now for for the Baguette car over Nick Cassidy's car. And that's the championship right now early in the season. The Nissan team, uh, Quintarelli and Matsuda, are in seventh. Um, then in GT300, the Yasuda Hironaka car uh, lead by one over Gamu and Shugan Suk. Anami there. So that you got some time before we get to the next uh Super GT race. And with that, I think we'll uh transition into silly season. We've had some news, Josh. Uh in terms of Cup, uh Bubba Wallace announced that he's not gonna come back to Richard Petty Motorsports. Daniel Suarez has announced he's not gonna be coming back to the Gaunt brothers team. There's rumors about it. It sounds like Bubba may be going there. There might be a Denny Hamlin involvement. There might be other partners. They might become the new B Toyota team. Uh, Daniel Suarez, what are his options? You know, you have Corey LaJoy. I think it sounds like he's going to be in the 37 car. and Ryan Pierce is going to go back to running mods. You know, there, there's a whole lot. Who knows who's going to drive the 32 Maggot car? I mean, the 48, we still don't know who's going to drive the 48 or the 42. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, where's Eric Jones go? Um, a lot of moving parts here in NASCAR. Uh, truck series, we, it's not gonna, we're not going to know until January. Um, Sam Mayer has already announced his ride. He's going to be driving a junior motorsports car second half of next year and the full 2022 schedule. Um, so big deal for him, a guy who's won K&N East and pissed off some people and he has daddy's money. Definitely in terms of NASCAR, a lot to go over in terms of silly season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see just how all that plays out. And even maybe a new owner, like we talked about with Denny Hamlin, um, he might be partnering up with Michael Jordan, who is no stranger to owning a motorsports team, as he did have his Michael Jordan Motorsports uh, motorcycle team that he had competing in, I think, in AMA uh, yep. uh, motorcycle racing for um, a while, um, although he no longer operates that team. So he is no stranger to motorsports, and that's been a rumor for a while that – they're they're going to partner up and own a team and and hire Bubba Wallace, but not sure if that'll take place. And it's probably likely that maybe he buys a stake into the Gaunt Brothers team and then hires Bubba there, and we'll see how that goes. And they become the maybe the B Toyota team um, is something that could play out. And there's you know a lot of questions about conflict of interest because. Denny Hamlin's a current driver for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he'd be owning another team that's uh, at least on paper a separate entity, although we know that with Toyota there's probably going to be some close association with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing in some way or shape or form. But I'm not sure how that will play out. And, and you know, we don't know who will fill in the the 
seats for the 42 car. Um, obviously, Matt Kenseth is likely not to return. Um, there's rumors of who could replace him there. Bubba Wallace was rumored to have a contract offer from Chip Ganassi, but then he didn't respond back, apparently, and now uh, Chip Ganassi rescinded the offer or something. I'm not sure if he'll offer that again. I mean, in my opinion, that could have been a a good ride for him to end up into, um, certainly a a little bit higher tier than... uh, than Richard Petty Motorsports, although not sure how how good that team really is, because probably the likelihood that the former driver carried that car and and now it's showing what the car's true potential is with Matt Kenseth behind the wheel with an older veteran um, who's just there to fill the seat basically. Um, I think there's maybe a chance that he could go to the 48 car, although I think Rick Hendrick. Uh, I saw a rumor that he it hinted on the radio to Sirius XM that it, it was going to be a driver that was likely already in the playoffs. Uh, this was a few weeks ago, and I think there's been rumors that maybe they'll just shut down the 88 team and put Alex Bowman in, or maybe maybe um, Rick Hendrick. I mean, what I've theorized is that maybe Rick Hendrick puts Alex Bowman in the 48 car, and then Bubba has a uh, sponsorship that he can bring with him to the 88 car, which has been self-funded for most of the season. So maybe that plays out and certainly that could be a possibility um, that could happen. And then, you know, we, we talk about uh, where Eric Jones will go and, you know, he could be a, a, a player for the 42 car or maybe the 48 car as well. So there's, you know, a lot of moving parts that'll play out and we still don't know what the uh schedule will be like um as obviously there's still a lot of unknowns uh due to the coronavirus and um they still have to work out a lot of deals and with uh a lot of these tracks and the ability to get some of the tracks back on the schedule that we weren't able to see this year like auto club which is going to become a short track in a few years and i disagree with that and sonoma and you know other other tracks that weren't on the schedule this year because of COVID, um, so we'll have to see what the schedule ends up and and how they decide to uh, have the schedule in future years. And you know, just going to be a uh, a lot of moving parts. And obviously, you know, with the testing for the new car that will come in 2022, we have to continue to see how that will progress and if uh, the drivers will actually like it and and um, if if it will be a good car or not. And we don't really have an ind- indication on that yet. So just a, a lot of things that will happen, a lot of changes that um, are going to happen. Maybe like they've been talking about for a couple of years that silly season has kind of been uh, very anticlimactic and not a lot of exciting things will last couple of seasons seems to have picked up now and I think maybe this one's maybe the most uncertain one in recent years when you have a lack of sponsorship you have I mean we didn't even mention there's a possibility or a likelihood that uh, Jermaine Racing will be closing their doors because they lost Geico uh, Ty Dillon's gonna either get sent into retirement or possibly go to RCR uh, you know, there, there, there's that notion. The 32 may or may not get more support from uh, Stuart Haas and become a landing spot for a Chase Briscoe. Uh, there is one of the cars that 
Um, at front row is in play with uh, the 34. That looks like a soft spot for somebody to kind of give themselves an opportunity or somebody who's been in a lower tier ride to maybe get up there with with money. Uh, McDowell's been in this cup series for I don't know how many years and, you know, not that great. That's an opportunity when you look at what John Hunter at times has been able to do for that organization. Um, that That might be a place as well. Um, the 37, of course, is open. Uh, likely there's going to be a change there. Uh, we know that uh, Spire bought the charter from Levine, so now they're going to have two cars uh, next year. Um, you don't know what manufacturer more than likely will be a Chevy, but uh, there's possibilities there. The, the, there's talk of the two uh, colleague guys, getting a full-time cup opportunity with Spires. That means Haley and, and Ross Chastain. Uh, of course, Ross Chastain, you never know. Maybe he goes and gets in the 42. Uh, you, you have to wonder about with Jimmy Johnson, which we'll get into in a second, where he's going to run a limited IndyCar schedule, but he's going to run the majority of the races because the majority of the races are on road courses. Uh, for Ganassi, Maybe he goes and runs uh, runs a limited schedule for Chip Ganassi in the Cup Series. Uh, that would be interesting to see, uh, just as an R&D, to go and give some extra data. You never know. Um, there's a whole lot of moving parts, and it's not like the top line rides for the most part. I think there is maybe a little bit in terms of the playoffs, but uh, there's a lot of moving parts that could possibly shift the trends here in uh, the future going into the new car uh, with whatever's left of the ownership in, in uh, cup with all these owners that are leaving or not able to afford the ridiculous costs and lack of money that they get for their value. Um, I mean, we'll definitely get dive into it more in the off season with Xfinity um, and and trucks trucks is definitely not going to be anywhere near closed out until first of the year. Um, Xfinity, the Sam Mayer deal, uh, he's basically been trending to get into a junior motorsports car because junior motorsports houses any kid that has money. See Noah Gregson, um, so and Justin Allgaier or any or washouts from Cup, Elliot Sadler, Justin Allgaier or just complete never will be's like Michael Annette. Um, so there's that. We'll see more and more detail what happens with some of these organizations. I mean, neither Xfinity or trucks are really are truly healthy. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of uh, point in terms of uh purse structure and scheduling to make it more better values on both of those series. Um, IndyCar, the Jimmy Johnson news uh, announcing that he's going to sign it. He signed a two year deal to drive for Chip Ganassi on the road courses. Now uh, I'm curious. I know Channy basically probably said to Jimmy, you're not going to run ovals, but you're, you're Jimmy Johnson. You're one of the greatest drivers ever. You've been driving for, 20 plus years you've been in the limelight like what why wouldn't you at least give it a shot to run the indianapolis 500 for chip ganassi if that option is there uh 
a definite intrigue. Uh, it fits a certain thing if the sponsorship lands to where Tony Kanaan uh, can make a return to Ganassi after his lackluster performance in the 10 car and and walk out uh, on, uh, the way he wants to and uh, have a competitive ride. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. Andretti Autosport really only has, uh, I think, Alexander Rossi and Colton Herta signed uh, for, or I mean, or, I mean, I guess Marco. Uh, I'm not, and I think, and, and Rossi, uh, I, I, whatever it is, I think there's like two cars that are definitely there and that there's a lot of contracts and things have to be situated you you got a lot of moving pieces going on in the indycar C series for sure um what do you look for josh in terms of indycar what do you see and and I, I think the main question is what do you think of jimmy johnson he's already i think focused on indycar right now but jimmy johnson the seven-time nascar champion in his late 30s or 40s going and transitioning to IndyCar for two years with one of the best teams in the sport, Chip Ganassi. Yeah, I mean, I th I think it's a solid move. It's a solid career change for him. And we get to kind of see what his talent is in a different type of car. And when he tested at Indianapolis with Chip Ganassi, he posted very reasonable lap times uh, compared to what I think what Scott Dixon had and what, um, there are other guys that Marcus Erickson, um, Felix Rosenquist normally drive at that track. So at, at uh, the Indianapolis uh, road course and and his lap times, they seemed pretty comparable. So I think, you know, with some testing, some extra seat time and and, you know, the ability to to go out and go practice and on the weekends, unlike what we have right now and, um and the road courses that we have on the IndyCar series uh, schedule, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of um, performance, what kind of, uh, you know, uh, races that he can put together in, uh, in the IndyCar. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how does he adapt with the level of downforce that the IndyCar has compared to NASCAR. And while it is lower downforce compared to, to what IndyCar has had in recent years with, since they changed the uh, the formula for that. Uh, it's still a lot more effect for um, the driver than what Jimmy Johnson might experience in the, in, uh, the stock car. So I think there's going to be a, a lot of uh, adjustments and ad adaptation that he's going to have to make. But I, I think um, this is a good challenge for him. And certainly physically, you know, he's you know very, very physically fit. He's a, a marathon runner. He does triathlons and uh, does a lot of cycling and running. So I, I think um, he'll be very, uh, very fit um, as far as that that goes. And he won't have much of a problem um, dealing with uh, the physical challenge of driving an Indy car. Um, I think maybe might have to start hitting the weight room. Obviously, no no power steering in the Indy car. So that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I mean, I think he should at least attempt the Indianapolis 500 um, um, and just not do any other oval races, but maybe um, maybe he won't do that. But I think for some of the other cars, you know, like we saw uh, Sebastian Bourdais uh, announce he's going to come back to the series with A.J. Foyt. 
Yeah. I uh, don't know. Don't know why with AJ Foyt, but I guess because just because that's um, an open ride right now because Tony Kanaan's going to retire uh, from the series and maybe do a part-time schedule next year. But I think think this is just a fill-in ride. Maybe uh, try to see what he can get from this car and and maybe land another ride uh, later on potentially if he decides to stay in the series. But uh, don't don't expect him to do too much with with uh, that ride because AJ Foyt racing in IndyCar has basically been missing in action since 1979 uh, for the most part. Uh, we'll see what kind of ride Tony Kanaan can get if uh, he can get a ride uh, next year because he said he wanted to come back and do a, a little bit of a proper retirement tour with fans. Uh, we'll see how that goes and if he's able to uh, pick up a ride. But you know, another thing we got to talk about is the the schedule with uh, IndyCar next year. They're going to be adding a street course to uh, Nashville in Tennessee, and that's going to be a, a, a very interesting race that could play out um, going next year with the the course layout that that's going to be uh, uh, that they will have. And very curious to see how that plays out. How um, the type of racing they'll they'll have uh, probably be similar to the street courses that we have here are already on the schedule, but I think it's a it's a good uh, schedule change for IndyCar to add a new race and a, a new market that they've never been in before uh, as far as scheduling races and certainly um, for that city it's a, a good additional revenue and and certainly another event for uh, the citizens uh, that live there. In, in that city. So I'm excited to see how um, that plays out as well. Um, and hopefully maybe we'll get new circuits uh, at least or new uh, street courses that get added to the schedule in, in coming years. Yeah, the, the Nashville street course, it looks kind of racy, but we don't know. We won't really know until next year when they actually run it next summer and in, in August, hopefully by then. Uh, you know, with COVID and thing, you'll be able to actually attend. And they want to have a festival, they said, and it, it's supposed to be this big thing. So hopefully we will see if that is actually, that'll actually happen. But the circuit itself looks reasonable, but then it's a map, you know. You don't know what the condition of the streets are. I think the coolest thing will be driving over, uh, driving over a bridge. Uh, that's not something that's usually the case. They do it at Singapore, and I think, uh, they, yeah, that's that's really the one uh, example of that. Uh, but you know, that would be cool. And also, recent uh, uh, thing came out: Scott McLaughlin, the uh, two-time defending V8 Supercars champion in Australia. Uh, for DJR Team Penske has been angling to come to America because his wife is uh, is uh, an American citizen. Uh, initial rumors were he would go to NASCAR. Then he ran the IndyCar eSports deal and was really good there. And then he tested in IndyCar earlier in the year and did really well, which basically made Winch Power want to crap his pants. Also, Pagano, uh, there's like there's a likelihood, considering the Penske IMSA program is going away, 
um, that uh, they will uh, be adding a fourth car uh, to the team for full time. And Scott McLaughlin would be that guy. And uh, that would be huge. Another New Zealander to follow Scott Dixon, basically his doppelganger um, in one of the best talents that's been in the V8 supercars and in, in for many years. The only reason why it's watchable, because if it was if it wasn't for him being in there, it'd be a full on hold in Red Bull benefit. and It'd be complete garbage. Um, I'm biased that way, but I don't care. Um, I can't stand holding. Um, and now they don't exist anymore because GM is what they are. So I've got to keep that in mind. Sebastian Bourdais had good vibes at AJ Foyt. Who knows? Maybe it actually comes through. Uh, maybe, you know, Josh, you said it 79 was last time they're relevant. And yeah, it's basically the case. It's kind of like RPM, no matter who drove the car, they've won a race here and there, but it would be the first time where that 14 car has been up there every week. Uh, if Bourdais is able to do what it seems like he wants to do there with that organization and a lot more to come through. And of course, no Indy lights, but a lot of other changes that might be coming here up the pike for the IndyCar series coming into a very um, interesting 2021 financing wise and uh, other other pieces of the puzzle. And then Formula One, uh, of course, uh, Checo, uh, Sergio Perez got uh, basically got canned by Lauren Stroll for Sebastian Vettel. Um which, I mean, you can get into semantics of how it was handled, wasn't good. And um, the fact that they don't give Sergio Perez or when Nico Hulkenberg was in the car, the better uh, car, uh, because Lawrence wants his son to be relevant. Um, You have that going on. Of course, Ferrari announced with Carlos Sainz moving over there with Charlie Claire. The top three teams are basically set. Uh, we think maybe Red Bull might make a change, but, uh, you know, Botas is probably out after 21. But you look at Haas, they may be replacing both drivers. You look at Alfa Romeo, they're going to be replacing, they're likely replacing both drivers. Um, Williams, they said they weren't replacing both drivers, but with Doralton Capital, uh, they maybe might go and think about getting rid of Nicholas Latifi and maybe putting somebody that can actually drive in one of the cars or George Russell might become open and they might be able to do, but I was hoping he'd go to, to racing point, but that didn't come through. Um, uh, what do you look at Josh in terms of uh, formula one before we move into the previews for um, the races this week? Yeah. I mean, we've already seen some moves now with uh, Sebastian Vettel going to go to um, Sebastian Vettel is going to go to uh, Racing Point, and um, uh, Sergio Perez is going to leave that team. Um, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how how that plays out. And they they're going to have a, a new sponsor now, and, and um, we'll have to see how uh, Red Bull Racing fills out their lineup for uh, next year. Um, I hope that Alex Albon stays in the car. I think he deserves another shot, but I feel like he might be on thin ice in 
uh, in that car and they'll replace him with um, another driver like Pierre Gasly or uh, somebody else um, that has a uh, they feel like might have a better shot. But we'll see see how uh, the seat fills for uh, Kimi Raikkonen if if he comes back and you know we've already talked about with uh, with Fernando Alonso coming back to the circuit. It's already been news and. Um, very curious to see how he'll perform next year coming back to uh, Renault. And I think, you know, for other teams like like Haas, uh, if they'll uh, make a driver change in both their cars, which I think they should, because I don't think they're getting the results that they need with uh, R- Roman Grosjean and, and Kevin Magnussen. Um, so we'll have to see if they decide to make a, a driver change there or replace both of the drivers, which they probably should do. And you know, obviously we have Daniel Ricciardo going to uh, McLaren, which we've already mentioned before. But um, it's now that it's happening, he'll be in a, a new ride once again after two years at Renault. Um, certainly, I think it's a better move, and to help a midfield team kind of pick itself back up from where it was in the last couple of years and maybe become more of a, a contending team and, and maybe become that that third team to uh, Mercedes and Red Bull um, maybe overtake Ferrari and uh, we've already already talked about with uh, Carlos Sainz going uh, going to Ferrari um, certainly certainly we'll um, see how that plays out we know that Ferrari is going to be in in a uh, rebuilding year with uh, him and uh, Charles Leclerc so uh, going going forward next year we're going to see how how uh, those um, those moves play out, um, but it's going to be going to be interesting to see um, some of these changes for Formula One going next year, and and you know we've already discussed how uh, their car will be. So going to be interesting to see how they approach just how the teams approach next year, knowing that there's a a new formula going to be coming out the year uh, later, and and. Curious to see just how how the uh, finances and everything play out for that. Yep, I mean the there's going to be a lot of intrigue going into this formula, the end of this Formula Two World Championship because, uh, you know the Ferrari Junior drivers, there's three of them with Schumacher, Eilat, Schwartzman. Um, based on how everything's laying out, it looks like they're all going to be able to get the super license. So. Will one of them make it? Will all of them make it? Uh, you consider Perez and Hulkenberg are out there as veteran drivers. Um, you look at what Haas has done over the years, and they probably need to start fresh. Um, yeah, it's a transitional year. It doesn't really. I think it's more a thing about angling towards 22. It would be fine to go and start preparing towards that they're not going to contend neither is alfa romeo uh you know that's the whole thing are they going to go full rookies in one of the teams are they going to go and 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 you also look at 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 haas they have pietro fittipaldi they have louis delatraz um in their their development program uh that's another piece you know giovinazzi is a ferrari junior um, hasn't really done anything over a year plus in Formula One. Uh, are they going to quit on him? Uh, you know, maybe move him to GT 
for the you know, like GT uh, LM or whatever GT Pro. Uh, you know, like uh, is Kimi Raikkonen gonna stay? Does he want to stay? Um, one piece to look at is Red Bull and Yuki Sonoda, of course, being Japanese and Honda would be a big deal for them to have a Japanese driver there in one of the seats to replace Danny Kvyat. Um, that's, I, I feel like Danny Kvyat's going to get replaced anyway. It's just a case of who's going to replace him. Uh, they don't like to go outside their team. Uh, last time I think they did go outside of their own group was Mark Weber. Um, all those years ago, since then they've, Otherwise, they've had their own junior drivers or people that have been a part of it. Vettel pseudo was outside, uh, but he was young enough and it was early enough in his career where theoretically he could be counted as uh, a Red Bull guy. Uh, Max Verstappen was supposed to be a Mercedes guy, but he ended up signing with Red Bull. So getting the semantics, um, the Red Bull really doesn't go outside the box. Uh, but this might be a time, it might be a time to go and possibly go and get a Sergio Perez or a Nico Hulkenberg and put him in that second Red Bull car with Max Verstappen. And then you go and bring Albon back with Pierre Gasly in Tor- in a Toro Ross, I mean, in Alpha Tori, if Sonoda doesn't get the points. You know, like that might be something to look at but we'll we'll uh go into it in more detail um later in in this uh season and into the postseason uh, what happens here with uh formula one uh we're gonna go and uh preview the uh 24 hours of Lamar. um so when it comes to the 24 hours of Lamar, uh we're going to uh, bring up the the entry list. There's five prototypes. Three of them are petrol cars and the two Toyota hybrid cars, which are the likely favorites. You have Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez in the one. Toyota, Buemi, Sebastian Buemi, former Formula E champion, former Red Bull driver. Um, I mean, Mike Conway is a former IndyCar driver. Kobayashi was in Formula One. Jose Maria Lopez was supposed to be in Formula One. I think he ran Formula E. Um, he was supposed to. Jose Maria Lopez, I think, was part of USF1. So there you go. Kaz Nakajima, former Formula One driver. His dad was a Formula One driver. Brendan Hartley is a former Formula One driver um, and is a elite sports car talent. So those two Toyotas are likely to be up there to be in front for the uh, overall. Um, the Bicolis car is probably going to fall out. Um, there should be a bet to see how long it takes the Bicolis car to fall out of the race. Um, that would actually be worth a while. I think the over-under should be an hour um, because Colin Colas is a piece of crap. And I feel bad for um, Tom Dillman, Bruno Spengler, the Canadian and Ollie Webb, um, who were driving that, who was driving that piece of crap. Uh, the Rebellion cars, if they can make it in their last race before Rebellion ceases to exist as a race team. Former Formula One driver Bruno Senna, Norman Nato, who's a gold 
but I've never heard of him before. And Gustavo Menezes, who's a, US, a guy from the U.S. Um, in the one car, the number three, Romain Dumas, Nathaniel Berthon, and Louis Delatraz, as we mentioned earlier, um, in terms of uh, junior drivers for uh, the the uh, Haas team. That's the uh, P1. Uh, Josh, I mean, it's, it's Toyota for sure, but, um, uh, I mean, I guess this is why I say it's like, which one do you think? Is it, is it the seven car or the eight car? Um, I mean, I, I think it's probably, um, probably the seven car. I feel like, um, I feel like in past races, it seems like that's the, the car that ends up taking the Le Mans title or finishing the best out of those teams. So I I mean it's it's going to be the war. I mean all those drivers will be satisfied with uh, the win regardless of the fact I think because I think they probably all celebrated as a team anyways. Yeah. But you know it's uh, respectable drivers across the board for that team, you know Michael Conway, former IndyCar driver um now in in sports car racing um you know Brandon Hartley also uh, Reg Basel's name and um, you know Sebastian Buemi, um somebody somebody who's um, been very solid for that team over the years. Um, but you know, obviously, we know that they're the favorites uh, overall and in in their class. So it's pretty much a given that I mean, unless like something catastrophic happens, I uh, likely that they will win that uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans. But I'm very intrigued to see what happens in LMP2 with uh, some of the uh, drivers and teams in that uh, uh, class, uh, particularly the, the teams from the United States or, or who have ties to the United States, like uh, Dragon Speed with mm-hmm. uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, um, who's coming back to race the 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, see if um, he can at least take a, a win uh, in his class and and um, he'll be teamed up with uh, Mimo Rojas, who's been a solid sports car driver um, for the former Rolex uh, sports car series, and Ganassi. and in IMSA with yeah with G- uh, Ganassi and yeah. I Hi think to my family been, at home. Yeah, so been been a a good relationship there um, and connections with Montoya. So certainly something to look at and. Um, you know, with uh, the other Dragon Speed car with Ben Hanley, who's also uh, raced in the Indy 500 before, so, um, somebody who I, I recognize in the field, and certainly see how that uh, that car performs if if um, they're able to have identical or um, finishing in, in relatively close to each uh, each other in in the race. Um, and I think another car maybe to look at or another team to look at is the United Auto Sports. Obviously, they I think they have ties with um, yeah, McLaren, Zach Brown, Zach yeah. Brown and and they have uh, Felipe Albuquerque coming over from INSA to uh, compete in this race. And curious to see just how uh, how they'll do in, um, you know, if they're able to compete for uh, for their class. And, you know, something I also see is how a lot of these teams are using Michelin tires, but there's a, a handful of teams that are choosing to use Goodyear. So curious just to see how the Goodyear tires uh, perform throughout the event compared to Michelin. Obviously, I think we both know that Michelin tires are probably more superior to Goodyear, but, you know, c- 
curious to see just how the uh, that tire choice will play out um and if it favors them or you know if they have a better grip or better tire wear throughout a course of a, a fuel runner or, or tire run and how, how that plays out but you know a lot of a lot of uh, storylines in lmp2 class i think um yep. maybe more intriguing than lmp1 um just more competition and and variance uh, throughout that class uh in my opinion but and you know with other other classes with uh the um amateur L- lmgte and lmgte pro um you know we got weather tech racing from the u.s coming over and see how um how they'll perform throughout the race and um you know dempsey proton racing who we all know from patrick dempsey and how how their set of drivers with their uh amateur drivers and how they'll perform in in this race if they can at least win in their class so i think you know a lot of a lot of stories to go around um and and talk about uh outside of lmp1 i think yeah the i think the gt pro and even the gtm which is a deep class there will be 22 cars in the am class so uh a lot of uh of good uh high quality cars a uh, couple of uh big time ferraris they have corsa you of course aston martin with paul dallalana um i mean dempsey proton has some guy from thailand which has some name there uh, you and then you also yeah, I mean Dempsey Proton's running three race, three cars. Christian Reed in the lead car with Matt Campbell. That's going to be a, a a favorite for sure. Um, the the WeatherTech team had to move out of the AM class to the Pro because they thought they had a better shot um, than what they would have had in the AM class. So that's something to see. Um, you know, Ben Keating, Felipe Fraga, Urin Bleekamolen, uh, Keating and Bleekamolen run in the WeatherTech GTD class. They'll be running uh, Project One Porsche. Keating used to run the Viper, so um, always have a soft spot for that group. Um, and you go and look at, I'm trying to look at Johnny Molum, longtime veteran um, all over the world, Oz Negri driving a Ferrari, um, so is Molum, he's driving Ferrari, different teams. Um, Tom Blomquist, who ran in uh, uh, Formula E, um, DTM, whatever, he's in a Ferrari. Uh, you, got, you, know, you got Horst Felbermeyer, they're in a Proton car. Um, you know, like there, there's definitely names, there's a lot of this this field is deep. Uh, you know the Aston Martin, the TF Sport Aston Martin with Charlie Eastwood, Johnny Adam. That's going to be a strong car for sure. The full Aston Martin team with Dalada Gunn and Augusto Farfis, who was here in America. He ran for BMW. Um, that that AM class is going to go all the way to the end uh to the end of 24 hours of course yeah, of course as giancarlo fisichella in one of the cars former formula one uh race winner there um the the pro class 
you, is is just it's loaded, absolutely loaded. Um, four Ferraris, two Porsches, two Astons. Uh, in terms of Ferraris, you have two AF Corsa cars, one Risi Competizione car, WeatherTech, of course, um, AF Corsa, Perguidi, Collado, Serra. Um, they've been up there. They've won uh, many races, won this race. Uh, Davi Rigon, Miguel Molina, Sam Bird, the Formula E driver. Um, they're, those two cars, they compete every race in this championship. WeatherTech, of course, Vlander and McNeil uh, run every race in GTD. Um, and then they'll have Jeff Siegel come on here. Um, so you have a gold, a platinum, and Cooper McNeil is considered a silver. Um, so that'll they'll kind of be a little bit up against it relative to the rest of the field, which is mostly platinums and golds. But WeatherTech is very resourceful. We'll see what they can do. Um, Sebastian Bourdais, we mentioned him earlier in terms of the IndyCar. Uh, he'll be coming back full-time as an IndyCar driver this year. He's been driving for uh, the, um, the, the – I'm forgetting the team name. But, or is he uh, Competizione? No, I'm thinking in terms of IMSA. Um, the team that he's driving for over there, but he's in the Reese car with Olivier Pla and Jules Guyon um, there. So that's a solid pairing there. Three French drivers. Um, of course, Sebastian Bourdais ran well there in the Ford. He, he almost won overall in the Peugeot. Um, of course, they're going to announce it sounds like Peugeot is going to be coming back to major uh, prototype racing. So I guess we know where Sebastian Bourdais is going to be going after he retires from IndyCar. Um, the Porsche team with Bruni, Leitz, and Makowicki in the one car, Christensen, Estri, and Lawrence Vantor in the other car. Uh, you can never count out a Porsche at Le Mans. Um, Aston Martin at Nikki team. Marco Sorensen, Richard Westbrook, a former Ford driver. Uh, now he's in Aston. Maxime Martin, Alex Lynn, and Harry Tinknell in the other um, Aston Martin car. Advantage, Harry Tinknell's uh, Mazda driver here in uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Championship in the prototype class. Um that will be something to see there. The GT Pro also no Corvette this year. So um, that would have been interesting to see how the balance of performance would have been for the C8. Um, and that team, which has been very fast here in the U.S., but they won't be making that run. Uh, the the LMP2 class is just loaded, as, as Josh mentioned. I mean, the kind of drivers, the talent you have there... I mean, you have Adrian Tombay, you have Nick Tandy, who's a Porsche factory driver, Ollie Jarvis, Mazda driver, Juan Pablo Monterrier, and Memo Rojas in that Dragon Speed car, Hanson Albuquerque and Paul DeResta, Sky F1 um, uh, pundit, plus former Formula One driver, former DTM driver. I mean, you have you have Matt McMurray driving for Algarve Pro Racing on a bad year uh, with Simon Trummer, and Jean-Eric Verne with Roman Rusinoff, 
Um, that's uh, a G drive car. Hendrick Hedman, Ben Hanley, Renger Van de Zando, who drives a 10 car in uh, the IMSA series uh, regularly. So that's a solid, strong lineup for Dragon Speed, who's, I think, angling with Juan Pablo Montoya for their future, whether IMSA, IndyCar, etc. Um, since Juan Pablo is going to be a, is a free agent right now because there's no Acura program after this year. Um, just to go and one thing, the Dunlop tires, Dunlop is owned by Goodyear, so they rebadged the Dunlop tires Goodyear, which is part of their PR to try to make it seem like Goodyear knows how to make a good tire because they don't know how to make a NASCAR tire. Um, so it's really a PR move as much as anything there um guido vandergaard and nick devries driving there in the netherland number 29 the yellow and black car um that'll that's one that stands out uh united autosports number 32 as will owen alex brundle and uh job van oitert who's a great sim driver and uh so that'll be an interesting a pair of group there, Rennie Binder and Roberto Merrill. Um, Hope Dong for the uh, Jackie Chan DC car. That was a team, uh, he was part of the team that finished second overall in this race a couple of years back um, in an LMP2 car for this uh, Jackie Chan team uh, with Will Stevens, Gabriel Aubrey. There this year, Joe to Sport has Anthony Davidson, who works for um, for Sky as well. Antonio Felix da Costa, uh, the defending Formula E world champion, and Roberto Gonzalez. So a very solid, strong group there. And that Nicola Lapierre. Uh, you have, and then a woman, a full women team. Richard Mill, it was supposed to have Catherine Legg, but she had a big accident at, uh, um, what do you call, at the French, wherever they are, the French Grand Prix, at Paul Ricard. She had a brake failure, um, broke her leg, and then she's now back here in the United States. Thankfully, she's going to be all right, but uh, she was scheduled to run in that in that car, but you have Tatiana Calderon who's uh, not that great, but whatever. Sophia Flourish, who survived a massive wreck at the uh, Macau Grand Prix and is, is racing, and Bessie Visser. So that'll be an interesting one to watch in terms of the full woman uh, team there. Uh, uh, hopefully they'll be able to have a good run here at the uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, we will finish in terms of deep diving on uh, previews with the NASCAR uh, series. Uh, we'll start with the truck series race, the, UNO, the first, the playoff opener, the UNO H200 at Bristol, Josh. Um, who do you look for for uh, picks? So you get a, get a winner in terms of the playoff driver and maybe somebody that we may not be looking at that's outside of the playoffs that could possibly win here on Thursday night. Well, I think for the playoff drivers, I think I'd probably just 
role with uh, Sheldon Creed. Uh, I think he's been pretty solid so far this season. And, yeah, he's um, not quite uh, up there in in the uh, position for the starting lineup, but I think he'll uh, come in in the race and uh, move up throughout throughout it and uh, probably win the race. But I think maybe for uh, a driver that's not in the playoffs to look out for is maybe somebody like uh, Timmy Hill. And he, he's um, had a top 10 at, at Darlington for the first time ever for his team, which is his own team in the truck series. And I think Bristol is a, a track that probably favors uh, smaller teams. And I think maybe I don't think he'll win. Obviously, I don't think he'll win the race, but I think he'll put on a, a solid performance, possibly like a, a top 15 finish or somewhere in that range. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how he um, lines up against some of these uh, larger teams at at this track. Yeah, those are solid picks for sure. I mean, I would love to see it for for the. Timmy Hill, him and his brother, they run that organization. They're, they're I think, two of, I think, four employees they have. Uh, that would be good for them. Uh, they have a good starting spot in 13th, so uh, one to watch. Uh, you have Christian, you have Chandler Smith, who, because of owner points, um, the owner's championship is up there in the top 10, so he's had a rough uh, stretch going on so will he go and kind of right the ship that would be something to see uh you picked sheldon creed i'll i'll go opposite i'll go with thor sport i'll go with uh grant Enfinger. he starts on pole like it's kind of like low-hanging fruit if he is able to get things going the right way i think he'll be able to go and get that win advance into the next round and solidify his spot um, outside of the playoff, I would go and look at, uh, I mean, it's kind of a deep dive, but Raphael Lassard, I mean, he's starting 19th, so it's really asking a lot, but Raphael Lassard has been running really well recently. Um, it's a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck. You'd kind of think that they'd be able to show up at one of Kyle Busch's uh, best uh, racetracks uh, in terms of people who have been on the Grip Strip podcast. The Dawson Cram truck this week will be driven by Cody Erickson. Uh, they'll be deep in the field, but they're not completely dead last. There are some late entries there. Ross Chastain, uh, one of four trucks for the um, Nice Motorsports team. Parker Kligerman will be in this race, and which is a home game for the 75 team, the Food Country truck. And then Camden Murphy, who's a late entry for Joe Niedicek, um, will be starting shotgun on the field on Thursday. Go to the Xfinity Series, Food City 300, a 36-car field there. Uh playoff cutoff here i guess the real question is can who do you think of the people that are outside who's the most likely to get an upset i mean we know it probably isn't going to happen but most likely to get an upset and then 
Um, who do you think is going to win on uh, Friday night, Josh? Well, I mean, I think for an upset, somebody that could it, like it could happen potentially is maybe Jeremy Clements. Um, it, I mean, he's the closest one to the the cutoff. Um, if Brandon Brown were to have a a problem, um, he, I think Jeremy Clements could be could be close enough to maybe get an upset if things play out for him on a on a short track it's certainly possible that he could end up with a surprise top 10 or something and and Brandon Brown falls out of the uh Xfinity series playoff hunt but it's probably a long shot and Brandon Brown's been pretty solid in recent weeks for that team and I think he'll probably hold his own most likely but for uh, the winner I think I'm going to go with uh, Justin Allgaier. Um, he led the most laps the last time that they were at Bristol back in June, and I think uh, he should have won that race, and he didn't because um, his teammate got rough with him. But uh, I think uh, Justin Allgaier um, brings that uh, momentum that he's had recently and brings back the same car that he had uh, from before, and I think he can uh, close up on the competition and get his fourth win on the season. And he has the best spot to start from uh, on the pole. I look at Ross Chastain. Uh, he hasn't won yet. And at some point he's going to. Maybe he's saving it for the playoff uh, because he's kind of in limbo in terms of where he's going to go. But I think Chastain's due to win. And it'll be a good spot, a good time to win as they move into the playoff starting the following week at um Las Vegas, um, if outside of the top 12, I mean, Clements is the one he's had moments here in the recent past. I would make you think he could go and win his second career race. And then there's other moments where, you know, failures and things happen where it's like, man, you, if he could ever get the funding and then ever get the support to really do this the right way, you ever wonder about the kind of talent and ability uh, Clemens has so that's something to uh, look at on Friday night and then the last thing is the uh, playoff cutoff for the first round the uh, Bass Pro Shops night race for Bristol Motor Speedway Penske won two uh, Keselowski Logano on the front row Truex Harvick Austin Dillon top five um, I guess of somebody who's it's the same thing. Like who, who outside of the current cutoff do you feel like is the most likely to win or is that your pick and who would that be? And then uh, a winner pick. Yeah. I think the person outside of the cutoff currently that could make it in is William Byron. I think he's close enough that he could, um, you know, point his way in at the very least, um, or he doesn't really need to win to to get in. So I I think that would be my pick for the person who can kind of make it out of uh, that uh, red zone, I guess, if you will. Um, and I think for a winner, uh, I'm going to go with Chase Elliott. I think he should have won in June when they raced. Uh, there and when he got in wreck with Joey Logano and let Brad Kozlowski win that race, he won the All Star race, and I think this track favors him. So I'm going to go with Chase Elliott. 
Yeah, Chase Elliott's a safe pick because of how he ran in that all-star race. The one uh, difference that we will have this weekend versus the all-star race is longer runs uh, to go and get the high groove working, which might actually allow passing. It might allow uh, maneuvering a bit in traffic, which is something that Kyle Busch is known for. Um, I said that Kyle Busch was going to win a couple weeks ago, and... I guess I'm going to be one of those people. I, 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 I'm going to be stubborn. I believe that Kyle Busch is going to win, and he's going to win soon. And if he goes and wins that at Bristol, it wouldn't shock anybody. I think he's won 100 races there. But it would be shocking this year, considering what he's done. Uh, but he has a top 10 starting spot. If he can get the car rolling the right way, and they give him what he needs, Adam Stevens. I think he's he's a favorite. Uh, he would be my pick to win um, Saturday night. In terms of most likely or who would be somebody that could possibly get in, I think Ryan Blaney, um, if he can get through his bad luck, uh, puts himself in a position for uh, a win and, and advance because that's literally the only way he'd be able to um, advance at this point. Uh, in outside of that, there's going to be MotoGP and the support series at the uh, Misano, uh, world Superbike, which has become a Johnny Ray versus Scott Redding battle. Uh, they'll be running in Catalonia. Um, the bend motorsports park will host the V8 supercars. Uh, DTM will be at Nürburgring and, uh, the British Touring Cars will be at Thruxton. Coming up this weekend, um, you have Rally Turkey, of course, for World Rally Championship. So we'll kind of hit on one or all of those things there on the GSP. Uh, uh, Josh, before we go, um, anything you want to say or promote going out? Well, yeah, I mean, you can always follow me on Twitter. JP Huffine, Instagram, same uh, name, JP Huffine. I, I talked about I was going to try to get a, a Twitch stream uh, up and running. I, I tried to do that, but I uh, didn't I didn't have the, I guess, the right the right program to do that. So still working on that, and I'll uh, try to see if I can get that up and running. Um, yeah, um, exciting weekend of racing coming up. Football's coming back as well, so should be interesting on, on that end. Uh I think I think we play each other in fantasy in a couple of weeks, so looking forward up uh, to that matchup as well. Yeah, we're gonna have to preview that. We're probably gonna have to take a spend a little bit of time uh, breaking that down in our teams uh, in the fall brawl league, a league that's existed for it's crazy to think it's year thirteen of uh, the fall brawl league. Uh, ten teams, of course. Josh uh, uh, was nice enough to join, and we have a few podcast people in there. Uh, you know, we have Mike uh, Joaquim and uh, Pit Lane Parley. He's in in the league. Uh, we have Clayton Caldwell, uh, the Talking in Circles. He's been a guest on here. Um, he's in the league. It's his second year. Uh, Jeremy Nickerson. Uh, I've got your five stars wrestling podcast. Um, he's like a mentor to me. He's one of my close friends. 
a football diehard, wrestling diehard, and great communicator. He's in the league again. He was in the league for a long time. So a lot of podcast uh, representation and participation, and we will definitely spend more time on the football side and fantasy football uh, here on the GSP. You can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. Uh, you could find me on Facebook as well, but not as much. You can find the Grip Strip Podcast on Twitter at Grip Strip Pod. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're working on all other options to get ourselves uh, further out there. Uh, we're early days here, and um, we're on WordPress at Philip G. Matt or philipgmatthew.com is uh, the WordPress where I'm hopefully going to have some more uh, print content coming again for the first time in a while. And um, yeah, uh, appreciate all the fans, all the people getting the downloads on Podbean and everywhere. Um, Thank you for your support. We're hoping that you'll continue to listen to us here on the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, For Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, We will see you next week. Um, on the other side, be safe, wear masks, uh, social distance, uh, take care of one another. God bless.